0: morning, as before we reflect on the scripture, I'd just like to ask you a question to be thinking about, and that question is, how are you doing today? How are you doing as you walk in here today? If we were honest, there's a range of emotions, there's a range of thoughts, there's a range of things that are taking place in our life. Some of us may be walking in here feeling kind of stressed out by today or by the coming week and what's going to be taking place. Some of us may feel tired, even though they were at the end of the weekend. Maybe the storms woke us up on Friday night. Maybe uh, we just kind of have been in a place of uh, not a lot of peace recently. Some of us may feel uh, excited today for different things that are going to be going on today or going on this week. Um, Some of us might be a little excited because, UT has won two games over top 25 teams in a while. In my now fifth football season here, this is definitely the most promising start to a season that we've had. What's that? Sermons go better after that. Sermons go better after that. (laughs) Hopefully the offerings go better after that, too. (laughs) That's, That's what we would So. So there are a lot of thoughts that we have when we come in here. There's a lot of things that go through our minds. There's a lot of feelings that are in us. And most of us are a mix of certain things. But what I would like to suggest to us today is that no matter who we are, that this is a day when we are called to gratitude, to give thanks. And it's not because anything special about today. This is a calling that is upon our lives all the time. This is something that we are called as followers of Jesus to choose on a daily basis seems weird maybe to say that we're called to choose gratitude but that is what we're called to each and every day when we exercise our spiritual disciplines and so today that's what i'm going to invite us to contemplate individually as families and as a congregation is the daily call on us as christians to reflect on and to choose to be thankful and to be aware of what we have to be grateful for the scripture that's going to guide us today is the beginning, the first six verses of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I invite you to listen now to God's word to us today. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. Constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask that no matter who we are today or how we walk in here, we would be aware (coughs) of the many blessings you pour into our life, into our congregation into this community. And we lift this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's the challenge today. The challenge is that when we think of a sermon, the classic way of preaching a sermon is that many sermons are called three-point sermons. Some of you have, have, have heard that before. If you've been in church for a while, you might have known a three-point sermon. If the pastor that day was really, really smart, uh, the three points would be an alliteration. They'd all start with the same letter uh, so that you remember them. No one ever remembers what the points are, but they remember it was an alliteration, that they all started with the same. All, start, all three points started with the letter C, right? I struggle many times in a sermon to make one point. I'm more of a one point sermon preacher. I think if there's one thing that we can try to go deep on and take uh, home with us, it's a, that, that's enough of a challenge, just to remember one. But today, which is choir dedication Sunday, when I have a little bit less time to preach than normal, and that's a perfectly fine thing, today there are three things in this passage. This is the challenge today. In less time to make triple the number of points that I normally try to make and to Have it make sense, but as we think about this call to gratitude and to giving thanks, I think in this passage there are three things that are important for us to know about the practice of giving thanks, of gratitude. The first one is this, the first one is that gratitude, giving thanks, a thankful life is a choice. It is not a result of circumstances. Most of the time when we think about what do I have to give thanks for, we think about the circumstances in our life. And we're grateful for if it feels like a good day, if it feels like it's been a good week, if it feels like it's been a good year, then we can be more thankful than other times. But gratitude biblically is a choice, not the results of circumstances. Now, you might be sitting there right now going, you have no idea what you're talking about. You have no idea what's going on in my life. You have no idea the pain that I am walking with. You have no idea the heartache that I am walking with. And I want you to hear me today that you're exactly right. I don't. And I am not at any level trying to minimize that. Gratitude is not uh, a, a kind of false smile, a kind of plastic Christianity where we ignore the hard parts of life and just choose to focus on the good. It's not taking a frown and turning it upside down. But what gratitude and thanks are are the discipline and the choice of remembering the presence and the power of God in all circumstances. We see that in this letter of Philippians. Philippians is uh, a letter that is very different than many of the letters Paul writes. And Paul is somebody throughout the, the New Testament who deals with hardship. Paul is no stranger to adversity, to suffering, to difficulty. What's interesting about Philippians is that it is the, we, most scholars believe it is the last of the letters that Paul wrote that we have in the New Testament. So, Paul, who wrote m- m- so much of the New Testament, Romans, which we studied this summer, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, this is the final letter that we have. Paul is near the very end of his life. He's actually in prison in Rome, awaiting his death, not for doing what we would consider anything bad, but for, for advocating for his faith, for being a Christian. He is preparing to die. This is the last of his letters and Paul is someone who knew great suffering. The interesting part in Philippians is it's the most positive of all of his letters. Paul would have, in some ways, and I think sometimes 21st century Americans, we can struggle with Paul because Paul would not be one of those people who's like, does everyone feel affirmed? Does everyone feel affirmed and everyone feel okay? And as long as you feel affirmed, that's the point of what this is. Paul, and part of why I love Paul is Paul sometimes takes a two by four and just smacks us between the eyes, right? And sometimes we need that. It may not feel the most affirming in the moment, but we need it at time to time. What's interesting is that in this letter where Paul seems to have uh, so much that he could could complain about. It's the most positive of his letters. Paul, sometimes he, you can read, when you read his stuff, sometimes he gets himself so worked up in frustration and anger, it boils over. Go read the book of Galatians. Like the first three chapters, he is just working himself into it. He's so frustrated with the church in Galatia that he gets worked up and worked up and worked up to the point that at one point he just says, you foolish Galatians. It's like it just erupts as he's writing it because he's gotten so frustrated. He boils over to the point of just going, you're idiots. And and that's the better translation, actually. We don't like putting that in the Bible, right? But that's the better. It's like, you are idiots. What are you doing? Like, Paul just does this. But Philippians, where he is sitting in prison for his faith, is the one where he starts out saying, I give thanks for you. And throughout Philippians, it is his most positive letter giving thanks, reflecting and being in a spirit of gratitude, of contentment, is not just the result of when circumstances are okay. Paul was in his most difficult hour of his life, and yet this is the most grateful and thankful letter of the ones that he writes. So that's number one. When we say that we're called to the discipline of giving thanks, of gratitude, That's not the result of circumstances. It's a choice we make every day. Well, what do we have to be grateful for? This is point number two that we see in this passage. He says, I am grateful to God every time I remember you. He writes to the church in Philippi in verse three. And this is an important insight for us as well about the spirit of being people who are grateful, thankful, content in our lives. And so he writes and he says, I am grateful for you. Sometimes we, in our lives, when we think about what we have to be grateful for, we think about circumstances where we have succeeded. We think about our jobs. We think about different things. These can all be good things to think about. But where Paul goes in writing this is he's thankful for the people in his life. If we were people who could truly find gratitude over time with good things that we experience, with success, with opportunities, with stuff, then we would be the most thankful generation in the history of humanity. We have more opportunities before us. We have more stuff. We have more access to vacations. We can travel like no generation in the history of the world has ever been able to. And yet, one of my favorite commentaries that I've heard recently when, they, when someone looked at our culture was they said, everything's amazing and nobody's happy. Everything's amazing and nobody's happy. We should be the most grateful, More, it was, if it was just about how much stuff do you have and how many things can you do and how many experiences can you c- consume, if that was what led to true gratitude, I can do all this stuff, I can be all this stuff, I can go see all of these things, we should be the most content, the most at peace, the most grateful, the most thankful generation in the history of the world. Everything's amazing and nobody's happy. What Paul reminds us of here is that gratitude goes back to the people that are in our lives more than the stuff we have or the things we do. I give thanks for God every time I remember you. Gratitude begins as we talked about in our last series encounter. We are at our core relational beings. Relationships are where we find meaning. So who are the people in our lives that today we need to be grateful for? And how many times when we think about the people in our lives that we're grateful for, how many times do we tell them? How often do we write like Paul and say, I want from the beginning to say to you, the people in Philippi who have founded this church who I know, I am grateful to God, he says, every time I remember you. He takes the time to reflect on the people who make him thankful. And he takes the time to write and tell them. What would it mean for us to practice that sort of discipline? Number one, to realize that thankfulness is a choice. And number two, when we seek to choose gratitude, where do we, do we go to people? And do we take the time to let them know? Sometimes I think we're a lot better at thinking we express gratitude than we actually are at expressing gratitude. I think we think we do a better job of it than actually doing it. Who are the people that you might be living and interacting with every day? that maybe you need to take the time in your heart to reflect on gratitude and to express that. And point number three, you see how we're moving through this? (laughs) Number one, gratitude's a choice. Number two, it begins with people. But number three, I want us to pay attention in this verse three, when we think of gratitude to the grammar that's here. Maybe like some of you, I'm not a big, I sometimes miss the details of grammar. I think about this when I, when I taught English in Japan. As many of you know, I taught English there for a couple of years after college I lived there. It was a great experience. And part of what I was supposed to do and part of what we were supposed to do over there was to teach conversational English to not just the students in the schools where we worked, and I was in a junior high school in rural Japan for two years, but also to the teachers. Because the way that the Japanese had often learned English was they would memorize grammatical rules. They knew more grammatical rules than all of us in this room put together. But Sometimes conversational English was hard. So the first class I ever taught in, uh, I went in, I was nervous, and I was there with an English teacher, a a, a Japanese English teacher, a wonderful, wonderful man. We had a class of of about 40 kids who were there. And he was talking about what it was like to have an American in the classroom and to learn about American culture. He's talking to the students about how grateful they were for this. And then he said, uh, he said, one of the things that I want to talk to you about from the beginning, I'm like, okay, here we go. This is what I'm supposed to be doing here. I'm living halfway around the world to to kind of teach and do it. And he goes, one of the first questions I have is, when when I've traveled to America, I'm just curious about y'all's obsession with gravity. (laughs) Now, I don't want to, this is my first question of my first lesson in being over there. And you're like, yes, yeah, that is a very curious thing. (laughs) How excited we are about gravity. And he said, why, why, why is that? Why are you all so excited about gravity? And I said, I, <laughs> I don't know, man. I was a philosophy major. I didn't, I didn't take engineering. I don't know anything. About, I mean, I know we stay on the ground, and that's something called gravity that does I don't really, I don't know where we're going with this. He goes, yeah, but you talk about it in, in your greetings. Almost every time I see Americans greeting each other, they talk about gravity. I said, what are you, I, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're doing. He's like, He's like, they, when I would look and I thought the, the proper thing was, hello, and they would say, what's up? <laughs> and then if they didn't say what's up, they would sometimes in movies say, what's going down? <laughs> what's up and what's going down? Right from the beginning, it's like, what's moving up and what's going down? How, how, does, you know, how does gravity work? And I said, oh, well, I, no, I don't, think it, I don't think it's really about gravity. He goes, oh, this is why you're here. Why do you say what's up and what's going down? What's the upset? And I said, I don't know. I don't think there's really really a reason why we use those terms. It's just sort of what we say. And he looked at me puzzled in front of the whole class, my first class, and he goes, so the words you use to greet each other really don't mean anything. And you're like, yeah, that's pretty much it. It doesn't really have a logical, I'm glad I'm here to enlighten you guys on how this works. There's really no meaning to the words we say in our greeting, because like, there's nothing literal about what's up, right? It's just kind of what we say. But of course, they're looking at it, looking at the grammar. They're actually paying attention to the words. So it's a very logical thing to say your obsession with gravity. What's going up? What's going down? Let's pay attention to the grammar here for point number three. Paul writes, I, re- I thank my God, I'm grateful, I thank my God every time I remember you. As we said in point two, who, who, he is thankful for people, but he's thankful to God. God is the source of all things that we are to be thankful for. God is the source of the blessings in our life. Think about when we said in point number two, who are the people for you to give thanks for? Who are the people in your life? Well, very rarely do we approach that person the first time we met them thinking, you're gonna be somebody in my life I'm gonna be grateful for. That would freak them out if you walked up to them and said that, right? I don't know you, but we're gonna be close enough that I'm just gonna give thanks to God every day for you. You're gonna scare them, right? Think about your spouse. Think about your colleagues at work. You didn't do anything to deserve working next door to them in your office. You didn't do anything to orchestrate that. You didn't do anything to choose your children or to choose your parents. You didn't sit there and God didn't go, now which, now which set of parents do you want? Take a, look, take a look at the values and let's match it up the right way. God is orchestrating this thing. God couldn't, if, if you're, the people you're thankful for is maybe a, a sorority br- uh, sister or a fraternity brother or your roommate at college, you didn't do anything to orchestrate that. If we believe in a God that's active in the world, then we can give thanks for people, but God is the source of that. We don't give thanks to those people. We give thanks to God for those people. I give thanks to God, Paul writes, every time I remember you. What would that mean for our life today, if no matter who we are, we chose gratitude? Gratitude. Well, as a congregation, I think it'd be important for us to reflect on that today for a reason. Because you're going to have to hear this three times. Because you're going to hear the sermon three times. And you got to act surprised and interested every time. <laughs> At 11, I needed to feel as profound as whatever profound thoughts there are right now, Tom. But today, we are grateful for you. We are grateful for you. We are grateful for the impact you have made on us. And when the story of this congregation goes forward in the years ahead, we will be able to say that when we remember you, we give thanks to God. When I think about in my own life, in my own ministry, when we think about who are the people that we give thanks for, you are one of those people I give thanks for. In my own life, I'm not the first, I don't know if you all know this, I'm not the first senior pastor Tom's worked with here. (laughs) Started with George Clattis. But from the day that I arrived, you welcomed me. You treated me with respect. You uh, openly discussed things with me. We were able to talk and to trust one another. But the thing, and Tom's heard me say this before in staff meeting this week, the thing that I am personally most grateful for, for Tom, is his continued hunger and thirst for excellence. I don't know if you all are aware of this, but in Austin, Texas, Sundays roll around every seven days. Every seven days, they keep coming. It's like a machine sometimes, and it is hard so to feel fresh, right? It is hard all the time to stay creative. It is, it is tempting at times to just want to kind of say, well, you know, that's going to be a Sunday in July, and it's not going to be as many people, and we're da-da-da, and so we'll just... Tom is never in that place of just mailing it in. He is hungry to keep growing. He is thirsty to know what's taking place in the world. And that search for excellence, that drive to stay sharp, to invite people into the work of the gospel has impacted me, has been profound for me. But I don't give thanks to you, Tom. I give thanks to God for you because God called you here. And that fills me with a sense of hope as we look to the future for both you and for us because God has called you and and to New Orleans. God has called you to be closer to children. God is gonna call you to use your gifts in all different kinds of ways to continue to impact the kingdom. And as God called you here, he's called you there. But it also means God continues to call us. That God hasn't brought covenant to this point just to go, well, it's all over now. And so as we give thanks to God, it also fills us with a hope of what will come next of the legacy that we will continue to build upon as we look into the future with hope and with expectation for how God will continue to work. So this day, friends, this week, I invite us to choose the perspective of thanksgiving and gratitude in our lives, to give thanks for the people, but to give thanks to God for those people so that we can look forward to what God will do next with hope of what will come, and expectation of what a new season will bring for you, for your families, and for us as a congregation. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this day you would lead us forward as your people. Give us grateful hearts that come through the right perspective on our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.